Welcome to our special music event live on the Encouragers on Clubhouse. This is a one-time event, and we are exceedingly grateful to have carved out some time with the one and only Guy Zapolian. Even the name seems so interesting, right? How many times have you heard over the years somebody say, did you hear what Zapolian said about the doldrums today? Do you know what Guy said about the music? Tonight, we find out up close and personal. This is Music Research Rotations. It's our first ever live Friday night event on the Encouragers. This is for the people who really want to get ahead and learn more than the others. I promise that if you're responsible for music in your market or music anywhere, you will appreciate what you're about to hear on this live event. My name is Lloyd Ford, and I am an outside strategic programming advisor with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. I work with local radio across the United States to help them achieve two things, higher ratings and higher revenue. Reach out anytime, 864-448-4169. We can be helpful to you. Of course, our work is confidential and market exclusive. We're also big believers in encouragement. It's one of our services. That's why we have started and launched this group called the Encouragers on Clubhouse. Please join if you haven't done so already. You can do that live on the app tonight and just become part of the encouragers. Also, as this event unfolds, please connect with the people on stage and in this room. Networking can be very powerful as an encourager to you, and we endorse getting to know others inside our industry to get ahead today. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast, and of course, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally Podcast. These podcasts are available uh, anywhere. This particular episode that you're listening to now, this live event, will probably be available within about an hour or so from the end of this live event, wherever you get your podcast. A thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing the podcast. We are, uh, as I said before, exceedingly fortunate to have an opportunity to spend some time with Guy Zapolian tonight. Uh, I do want to take a, a moment to kind of frame this correctly for you. In case you don't know, Guy Zapolian's long history as a winner in radio and especially with music music theory and getting to know the consumers known as listeners of course guy zapolian is well known to the elite in the music industry and in the radio industry because of his acumen when it comes to music selection rotations and fundamental understanding of music cycles and identifying the strongest music he literally spent from 1967 until 1976 trying to predict the top 30 countdown rankings every single week just to see if his ear was accurate in the predicting of what a hit was. He developed his own top 1,000 of all time from 1958 through 1972 from KHJ, KRLA, and KFWB surveys. And his national all-time top 500 was actually printed in Rolling Stone in 1973. You're doing the math. Guy Zapolin was 21 years old when they published that. 
He was hired as the music assistant on K-Earth. Then he got his big break as the music director of KRLA in February 1977. And when you think about the, the, the gravity of how long ago that was, that's where he learned music, tempo, and music flow. And then, of course, he went back to K-Earth, where he was obsessed with making certain they were playing absolutely the biggest hits. He was collecting data from local record stores, and he had, for its time, a very advanced technological way of calculating listener requests. He built it himself. As some learned earlier this year on the Encouragers, he also knew at that time that if he wanted to take a programming job, he was going to have to go to a smaller market to get his stripes. KRQQ in Tucson was that place for Guy Zapolian. That is where he used call-out research for the first time, 1981. He continued to test his ears and instincts and validate that against real research. And I want to point that out to you. You're going to hear that multiple, multiple times tonight as we talk about real research. He goes to work at KZZP where they hire, listen to this, John Coleman and Richard Harker. We're going to call them uh, kings of research, right? They actually built a research department. Coleman did the auditorium music testing for gold and recurrence. You can see right now an early adoption of music research and the use of that to validate direction and selection of music with Guy Zapolian. Of course, Zapolian was also on a team that built or began working on KHMX in Houston in 1989. They spent more than six months putting that station together and launched as the first designated hot AC in 1990. This created a lot of turbulence in Houston for other radio stations and made for very significant successes. And that is when Guy Zapolian went into consulting with the high value of music research in hand. By the way, in case you're keeping up with the home score, during his programming career, Guy Zapolian programmed three top 40s and was well known as a top 40 programmer before he did the first hot AC. And Guy Zapolian was consultant of the year for nine straight years in a row for both top 40, AC, and hot AC. Not a bad track record for anybody. Now, I will say this once more so you don't miss it. Today's live event will become two podcasts called the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast and the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast. And both of those are available wherever you get your podcast. Guy, welcome to the Encouragers. How are you, sir? I'm great, Lloyd. How are you? I'm doing pretty good and really excited to have you with us. So, so look, you, you have worked with and mentored really amazing people in the radio business along your long career. When it comes to music, you just seem to have skills that nobody else seems to have. I'm going to bring up someone because I think, look, you and this person were absolutely weaponized 
to win. Can you tell me, tell us about your relationship with Steve Rivers and maybe a story about how you two work together? Sure. Steve Rivers was a great friend. Um, he was obviously one of the greatest program directors of all times, and I was truly blessed to have him as a partner. And we worked together on so many different radio stations. You know, we first met at um, a radio and records management seminar um, as a team, and we were tasked to build a business plan for a for a, a model radio station. And we became great friends at that point. And and who knew that uh, ten years later we would be basically doing uh, some some work with uh, Evergreen, Chancer, AMFM, really starting radio stations up and uh, and making sure that the radio stations were on track. And we uh, put on WKTU, went from worst to first, put on Jam and Oldies, and, and of course we work with Z100, and we're lucky enough to work with Tom Pullman when he was there. Um, you know, most of the time we played yin and yang to each other because a lot of us, we were pretty similar in a lot of ways. Um, both of us were data focused. Um, both of us were pretty creative. Uh, Steve was amazing at, uh, at creativity, though, and imaging, especially in talent. Um, but we often switch roles playing devil's advocate, sometimes as a creative guy, sometimes as the data guy. But um, in the late 90s, at a perceptual study at WKQI Detroit, Steve had worked himself into a state of exhaustion and could barely put two words together. And, you know, um, knowing Steve and the radio warrior he was, he still showed up to Detroit from Seattle um, and because he was head of programming and, uh, and he wasn't going to not be there. Um, so he was barely able to talk at the end of the perceptual. And we just kept looking at each other, kind of going, what's wrong with Steve? And, uh, you know, toward the end, we went around the room talking about what we thought, what was wrong and what, you know, what were the strategic solutions needed. And still Rivers was quiet during that discussion and, you know, really during the entire perceptual study. So finally, we said, hey, Steve, what would you do? And he started to kind of mumble. And finally, out of his mouth came the most simple, but the most brilliant thing needed at WKQI. Steve just said, play the fucking hits. <laughs> What's that? Play the fucking hits. Oh, okay. We all laughed. But, uh, you know, when we thought about it, it was exactly what was wrong with WKQI and what we needed to do. So um, that's one of my favorite stories and favorite lines. And I've used that line working at every station since then. And at iHeart, when I partnered on iHeart Top 40s with my friend and uh, national CHR director in KISS Los Angeles programmer, John Ivey, who was also River's friend as well, when, when we would be on calls with young programmers that who would argue often that the, an up and coming song but not a proven song should be a power um, on you know on a mu on that music hall uh, I'd smile you know we'd be able to see each other and I'd smile and I'd turn to Ivy and I'd say so John what did our buddy in heaven Steve Rivers always say and John knew exactly what to say and he just went He'd say, play the fucking hits, and that's what we need to do here. So, <laughs> so speaking of teams, you know, I love working with other people. Um, I always like to have at least two men, uh, a partner and myself working on any, whatever project that I did. And, you know, it's the old two heads are better than one. So I always had a partner just like Rivers or, you know, uh, it's the Poly Media Strategies, Steve Davis and Mark St. John and a bunch of other people. And at iHeart, 
start with all the great programmers there, um, really on everything I did personally to make sure the results were perfect. Uh, someone who could brainstorm ideas and solutions and someone who would yell bullshit if we had a bad idea. Well, I got to tell you, here's this guy. We get to listen to guys of Napoleon talk to us about different things in his career. Look how much he gives credit to other people as well. Now, guy, to me and to many others, you're that radio guy that's like the records guy that we all know as Clive Davis. In other words, you know music. You know music. What makes somebody great at picking music for a radio station and making certain that a radio station stays on target? Because it's not just enough to get there. You've got to stay consistent. And what role does music testing play to help experts play the right music consistently? Um, I will get to that in a little bit. But uh, uh, first, I kind of want to talk about um, about where we are with with uh, um, radio today. So um, I had a mentor back in Nationwide, uh, a guy named Dale Weber, who was a great uh, GM. And he used to say to me when we worked on radio stations together, what time is it? And he'd say that because there are three times in every business industry format or radio station time to make the rules time to keep the rules and time to reinvent the rules. And I know John Peake's on this call, so he, he's heard that from uh, Dale, I'm sure. Um, time, to, time to make the rules uh, was when you were just starting out with a product, a new station, and you're realizing what works and what doesn't. Time to keep the rules when those rules you made are still working. Time to break the rules when your product, your radio station is no longer successful or you have a new generation of listeners and you need to reinvent and change the rules for them. Many people think it's the latter time in our industry right now and that we need to reinvent everything and throw out the old rules, the old tools. But honestly, that's really, really a tragic mistake. As the old saying goes, you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater because many of the old rules and the old tools still work. We just need to make some adjustments, modify some of these rules, um, keep the ones that still work and add some new rules and transition into a new era. Excellent. Excellent. So, Let's talk about this. I, I, I do want to kind of get to talking about the importance of your station's music mix. One of the key things that I worry about as companies isolate their programming view with smaller and smaller inside corporate teams and often no outside influence or objective advisors. You know, corporations have a board, right? But programming isn't for some reason seen that way. We all know that trust equals brand, but that trust is built on what people come to expect from you. Can you please tell us the importance of your station's music mix in building consensus among music fans in your market? You bet. So <clears throat> um, you've heard of the 22 immutable laws of marketing by recent trout. Absolutely. Well, I had a tw 23rd immutable law, and that was uh, delivered expectation. And um, I, I did quite well as a consultant because uh, that was my number one most broken rule when I went in to fix radio stations during my 40 and, and during my 45 years in radio. Uh, so many times would be called in to fix a station with a GM and the programmers would want to change the sound or veer towards some more successful format during that rating period because they had a bad rating book and they blamed the music mix or even the format. 
And it was quite often not the music, but could have been the morning show or a lack of marketing or contesting or probably the most uh, of it. Most times it was just a bad Nielsen survey that would correct itself the next rating period. Um, so in order to, to understand what was wrong with a radio station, yeah, of course, music was the most important thing I'd study. But I'd also do a history lesson on the station before fixing it. I'd ask questions about the morning show. What, you know, what were the morning shows when the station was successful? What contests they did? What imaging was like back then? What research company they'd used? And I would ask for old perceptuals if they were lucky enough to have them. And musically, I'd find when the station was successful, on the ratings and get logs from that time period from whatever source I could. Sometimes I get old actual old paper music logs from the radio station and study them. I then compare their music mix now versus what they were su doing successfully um, looking at music architecture, tempo, and genre balance. And I'd use that as a base to rebuild the music systems, their clocks, music research systems, and music scheduling systems. I'm going to tell you, you, you have said this. I've picked up on this. One of the tricks of programming is understanding the power of consensus, right? Absolutely. If you, uh, if you took your average music library, your currents, recurrence, and gold of about 80 to 100 for top 40 or 400 or more songs for other formats, and you asked 100 people in your audience what their favorite songs are, you'd be very surprised that there would only be a relatively small group of songs that were shared as everybody's favorite songs. And that's because there are really only a few songs that everyone likes in a given format. And those songs are the core of your music mix, they're the favorite for a majority of your target audience. There is a consensus with that audience and an agreement that those songs are their favorites. Those songs are critical to make your station cumulable by a large group of people week in and week out. That's why setting up your target audience to measure for research correctly by age, sex, race, by your station's close competitors and your station itself, and that's essential for success. And a well-targeted library music test for your gold and recurrence at least once a year. And I've seen it where people have gone for two years or more, which is crazy, not doing that. And, and a bi, especially at Top 40, and a bi-weekly music call-out report are, are really critical. And those help you find those touchstones, your true power, current, recurrent, and gold songs that you need to play every few songs in your music mix to keep listeners tuning back in. By the way, as you're listening to guys Napoleon talk about this, I mean, he drops little things that you may not think at first, okay, that's really, really important, but he's already dropping things in this conversation that you're going to go back and listen to again, and that's why we're putting this out in podcast form later so that you can have an opportunity to do that. Guy, is this where you talk about the spoke system, your spoke system, correct? Absolutely, yep. I'll, uh, I'll get to that shortly. Um, nothing, absolutely nothing from a music standpoint is more important to your station success than making sure your powers, your down powers or, or stay currents, your recurrents and your gold are super strong. Okay. And, yep. 
that makes sense, right? Yep, yep. And down powers are, you know, some people call them stay currents. I call them down powers. Um, some people used to call them back in the day stash, but it's really that category that's between a power current and as songs drop out of there, they don't just go to recurrent and play once a day. They play, you know, every five, six, seven hours. Now, um, this, this is about extracting additional power out of your cream of the crop songs, correct? It is. You can see those songs. We all know that in the record company system, if you will, okay, all songs are even. Well, you know what? We know that's not true. We know that some songs are unbelievable overperformers and identifying those are important and critical. And this is what you're calling down powers, or I might call a stay current, but yeah. this is what you're talking about, correct? And many of what people consider down powers actually should be powers, but I'll get to that later. Ah, nice. I um, knew that was <laughs> I'd, I'd wager a billion dollars that a lot of radio stations power categories are not nearly as strong as their programmers think. So let's talk about a big secret that escapes mode, most broadcasting companies, except one that I won't go into, where it's it's a standard operating procedure. And that big secret is the spoke system, something that I actually developed in the 90s, a system that creates foundational building blocks for your music. Spokes are like the spokes in a bicycle wheel that support that wheel. They aren't necessarily just the best testing songs. Spokes need to be bulletproof, immensely popular and familiar touchstones for your listeners. But most importantly, spokes need to have huge appeal with both your core and your non-core. And that didn't mean just total. That means core and your non-core. OK, so. You structure your clock strategically with at least every other song being a spoke. And that way you can use them to sandwich the weaker songs you play in between. You know, anything from brand new songs to mediums. And I even consider bees non-spokes. Um, that way, when you build the expectation in your audience that if they hear a song they don't like or just switch away from a commercial, you train them to come back to your brand because before your format competitors. Why? Because of the way you created your music clocks with every other song being a spoke that appeals to both core and cum slash non-core. So your audience knows that if they hear a song they don't like, they're guaranteed to hear a song they do like the very next song or when they tune back in. The spoke system builds trust with your audience. They know they can depend on you for their favorite music in your format. Okay, so this gets back directly to trust equals brand. Trust equals brand. You've heard him talk about spokes and the core and non-core importance of that of using that specific system do you necessarily think uh that music is getting the attention it deserves guy or could things be slipping through the cracks today in today's honestly really busy radio world yes absolutely i don't think radio programmers have the time they need to just listen to music um, uh, you know, with everything a radio programmer has to do, working with talent, sales, promotions, marketing, social media, and offer more than one radio station, I really doubt that the PD has that time anymore. So back when we were programmers, I remember Dave Showen telling me this a long time ago, we would take songs to put them on cassettes and, you know, 
uh, we would spend hours and hours listening to those songs, the songs we were going to add every single week. Um, I personally think not doing that is a tragic mistake, and it makes radio totally dependent on the labels for the potential hits for their format. And, and it's tragic because there's so many people in our business today that really have great ears, but um, just because of the way things are, they, they really aren't allowed to use them as much as they should. So you mentioned earlier that I studied top 40 music and charts for years and years yes. before I was a programmer um, and exp- you know, examining what songs were hits and examining what songs were not hits. So I, I know the importance of listening to your potential ads multiple times till you knew in your gut if that song was a hit and it had staying power because you listened to it so, so long, so many times, and it wouldn't fade after a few weeks once you put it on the air. Um, like I said, sometimes that was 30 or 40 songs a week that I had to listen to over and over again, but that was the job, and, and uh, listening to music was, was a priority uh, in doing my job as a program director. Of course, I still relied on research to show me after enough spins, and that's important, whether a song was a hit. So it got to a point as a program director that I, I, uh, I, I uh, and even as a consultant, where I felt confident enough and I stopped relying solely on record labels to supply me with the potential hits, the songs that were, you know, they were working radio on. And then I saw Brian Thomas there because it reminds me of when they used to call us the Brat Pack, um, <laughs> several of us, Steve Kingston and, and uh, Brian was one of them and, and Steve Perrin and a couple of others. But we played songs that we believe were going to be hits and we shared our research with each other so we had our own little tight group uh, knit group of, of programmers and we broke a lot of music together um so um you know when i i uh when i would do that um you know uh and i didn't think labels you know had had enough good songs out for me to be you know, relying on them um i'd add an import or a bring back, which I was known for a lot back then, or an album cut or a crossover hit from another format like country that wasn't being worked. Um, And without getting into heavy detail, I did that because I grew up listening to KHJ. That's what they did. It wasn't my idea. It was their idea. They did a lot of that back then. They used their ears. And that was, to me, arguably the greatest radio station of all time. So, so, you know, I may get some credit for it, but I was I was doing what I was mentored to do by listening to KHJ back when I was a teenager. Um, so when, when my radio stations featured these extra normal songs, instead of depending solely on label priorities, that um, those songs that I added that were left field songs acted like a secret weapon and kept the hit quotient higher for my radio station. Um, than my competitors, and that got my station higher ratings. At different points at KZZP, we had one or two songs in power um, every month that were, weren't being worked by labels, or bringbacks like Red Red Wine by UB40, Moni Moni by Billy Idol, which we played you know nine months before it was actually re-released, White Lines by Grandmaster Flash. I don't know how many people remember that. That song was number one on KZZP. Or we'd do bringbacks and album cuts from popular movies uh, like Beetlejuice, you know, uh, Do You Love Me was Do You Love Me by the Contours was also a number one song for us at KZCP. But it wasn't just me 
Um, we had really an amazing all-star group of music directors, to me the greatest group in a short period of time ever in the top 40, and that included Steve Goddard, who was my first music director, it was great. Um, then I trained Kevin Weatherly, um, and obviously we know what he went on to do, uh, a great, great programmer in his own right. Gene Bean Baxter, who Kevin and Bean, was a great music person, people don't realize that as much, he was incredible. Todd Fisher, Darcy Sanders, who went on at K-Rock as music director, assistant PD, and VH1, and then Michelle Santasuso, who programmed KML um, and The Beat. Um, and we just refused to be solely dependent on labels for the music on our radio station and dependent on that music for our ratings. We just weren't going to do it. Okay, so I want to point out the whole thing about bringbacks, the whole thing about not relying solely on record companies. I just want to make this little mark here. You didn't just do the wild, wild west. You put that stuff in music tests so you could see it in action. Yeah, 1,000%. And um, we didn't just put those songs on the air on, in regular day parts. Uh, we didn't put it on during the day. We started those on two of our programs. One was Hot Mix on Friday nights. If it was more of a dance song, and if it was more of a party, even slightly pop alternative, we'd put it on Party Patrol, which is our weekend show. And nice. that's how songs would start. And then when they started to get requests, we might take a chance to start playing them during the week and then after several weeks we'd put them in call out look at potential scores you know um and and when we felt confident that we had the signs that it was going to be a hit that's when we put it into a even better rotation and those songs went on to be huge hits for us Okay, so we're so fortunate when people dip into our group and become aware of the encouragers and they see what we're doing here. We are really focused on encouraging people. Uh, it's really important that we get this right. I don't want people thinking that this conversation about Guy Zapolian with Guy is all about the past. So, okay, Guy, what time is it for radio and music rotations today? Um, so thinking back to what I mentioned about Dale Weber and his three times in any business uh, rules, uh, many people in our industry, um, from the, especially from the label, and but as well from the radio side, think it's time. It's that time to change the rules, break the rules, and throw out music call-out research and digital, even digital sales to them is less important. Um, you know, and these are tools we've used for 40 plus years. Um, you know, after all, everyone's streaming music these days, aren't they? <laughs> well, they are. But um, while, you know, at the same time, we know from multiple studies that streaming and we know that streaming music is growing more common every year and more and more people are, you know, they're going to be doing streaming. And that is the future. We all know that. OK, but, you know, still at this point in time, more people listen to radio every day than stream music, podcast, talk, audio entertainment or even stream radio. Um, yeah, we know that streaming consumption of music is the future, as I just said, and we know at some point, especially with Gen Z and millennials, really everyone will stream music more than listen to radio for music. 
Um, but for now, Nielsen Ratings for Radio are totally focused on radio listening only, and that's our job at radio to get ratings. For music, while I believe streaming data, as well as Shazam, Hit Predictor, sales, M scores are incredibly helpful in finding hits early. Um, and can even help you establish what the hits are weeks before music callout can. You can't get targeted demographic and station fan specific or format information about songs from streaming, at least what format, what genres, uh, formats rather these songs are popular with. You have to have some kind of local callout research um, you know, from a, or or call out from a very similar market or station in your region. So my recommendation is to combine all these resources together so you can build a really great research cocktail that'll help you find the hits and create a hit oriented and exciting music mix. Oh, now that's where I just love it, where you talk about creating this cocktail, this great research cocktail, how important that is. Listen, in case you are just joining us right now this is our special live event with guys apollyon on music we are in fact laying it out and talking about how to create great music yourself for those who are just catching up guys apollyon is the architect of modern hot ac and radio's music doctor of course i'm saying that and i don't know how he feels about that i will say that he does know music and i know that is true my name is lloyd ford and i'm with rainmaker pathway consulting works you're hearing this on our group the encouragers on clubhouses app or later on our podcast if you're listening then uh, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, or the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast. Both podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcast. Our goal is to encourage you in your audio career. Later tonight, we also get, now don't miss this. We're actually going to provide you with an actual music spreadsheet so that you can go and download this thing and take a look at it at RainmakerPathway.com in the free blog section of our site starting at about 8 p.m. Eastern on October the 1st. So keep that in mind. Guy, we really mean for this to be a kind of a global look at your views on music and exposing what is myth about you and what is real, what you really care about when it comes to creating great music on a radio station. We uh, Can we talk for a minute about research? Because I think some people just think, you know what, Guy's a poly and he just picks it records can we talk about uh, uh, different research and different research tools and how you rate each one of them how does that sound you bet so, okay so so what we're going to do here is we're going to talk about each one of these things i'm going to mention one and then i'm going to let you take it from there and give us a one to ten score of each individual tool according to guys apollyon so we'll start with call out um so yeah and i'm going to give each one of these these tools um a rating so i will mm -hmm. get to that in a bit so because of the importance of having your rotations focused, focused on radio listeners, music call out is still king and the most important tool when doing your rotations. Music call out because of how it's set up is the most accurate representation of your average listener today because it's based on your target audience by age, sex, race, your station fan cumers. 
uh, from competitive stations and your format listeners. Um, I've always used a ranker of pop scores using weighted positive. Some people call it a zap score. Uh, it reminds me of John Peake because that's what we did uh, <laughs> when I was working with him in Denver. It's a 1.7 times favorites added to like percentages on a one to five scale. Um, so uh, what's the uh, score for call out? It's 10. You say that's a that's a ten out of that, one to ten, correct? That's a, that's a ten out of one to ten. It's absolutely mm -hmm. the most important tool, and it's absolutely critical to have that or a reasonable facsimile to do your rotations. Absolutely, um, every other important tool, while valuable, must be used together. To me, each of these next three tools only has a value of two for each one. And wow. since even combined, these tools only add up to a six. To me, they're definitely much less important when doing your actual rotations than, than uh, the call out, which is the 10. So we just talked about call out. You gave that a 10 and you already have called the ball on this and said, look, these others we're going to talk about, they're, they're a two score on a scale of one to 10. That really tells us a lot. Let's talk about streaming. So um, I'm very opinionated about streaming charts. Like I said, everybody's so, so many people are streaming. You cannot deny that. It's obvious, but um, you know, when I look at streaming, I look at Nielsen streaming uh, to create rankers because it combines all the streaming giants, YouTube, which is the most popular, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, etc. Um, and look, we know how critically labels care about streaming since it often makes up as much as 80% of their revenue. You know, as they say, follow the money. Well, that's what they care about the most. Um, and uh, they let the charter services like Billboard and MediaBase know how important it is. And, um, you know, and it's also an important factor, the most important factor in the songs they promote to radio. So it's very important to realize when you're looking at streaming numbers and streaming rankers overall, uh, that they're not as dependable as you think they are. A song streaming numbers can be hyped by labels or fan clubs. Uh, generally, we know uh, some of that is washed out by the sheer tonnage of users, um, you know, that washes out that some of the hype. But uh, an interesting thing I learned about a year and a half ago that um, 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 streaming, uh, one person can count as many as 50 streams per day. Uh, and that's 350 streams a week. So a fan club of 10,000 people could be worth 3.5 million streams, you know. And, um, you know, remember, Billboard looks at these streaming numbers, too. It's a big part of what they do. In fact, Billboard bases about 60 percent of its calculations on their charts on streaming, 30 percent on airplay and 10 percent on digital sales downloads um, last year. Um, a perfect example is the hip hop artist Six Nine, um, who's a very who was a very controversial social media star, um, but had very little airplay or very little sales. Used his platform and his controversial uh, style to push his followers to stream his song Gooba to a near record 55 million streams, and th those streams alone. 
got that song to number three on Billboard on its first week with very little sales and very little airplay. Um, so, uh, you know, you can have an active audience pushing streaming chart numbers and, you know, you don't know what the age, sex, race is stri who's, who's streaming that song. Often one formats fans are pushing the song to the top of the streaming charts. So often songs in the top 20 could be hip hop songs, but aren't necessarily hits for other formats like top 40, um, you know, or country or, or, or even alternative. So. Remember that rankers of the top streaming songs are not, also not typical of the average Joe and Jane that listens to radio. I think they are different, you know, quite a few, quite a bit different, the, you know, heavy streamers versus uh, your average radio listener. So um, we know from research that songs that are most popular on streaming, Shazam and sales charts are, uh, and I learned this from Coleman Research about two years ago, those songs that are big on streaming, that are big on Shazam, that are big on sales are six weeks ahead of the average radio listener. So uh, streaming charts and are, are not really a great tool for doing current rotations. You know, and I love what you're saying here. If I'm reading between the lines, I'm like, okay, so streaming is kind of like the wild, wild west. And as Warren Buffett says with investing, you know, he says he doesn't invest in anything until it's least 10 years old so that he has a really good firm data track record on it. I'm not suggesting that for streaming, but I am suggesting that you're throwing a caution flag in terms of using this as some kind of pure research tool. Let's talk about Shazam Top 200. Sure. So, um, you know, after a big explosion of popularity about five, six, seven years ago, Shazam has kind of fallen off a little in use versus streaming. But um, I actually think it's still an incredible tool. Don't think it's a 10, but I think it's a two. And I think it's as valuable as streaming is. So um, the top 10, top 15 songs overall, if you or if you just pull out the top 10 by a format like country are generally the hits, maybe ahead, like I said, six weeks ahead. But it's a really good gauge of, of what could be a hit. Um, and Shazam tends to reflect probably a little greater balance of genres, rock, pop, hip hop and country. So it's probably also a little closer to reflecting uh, top 40 radio uh, genre diversity than streaming is. So interesting. Now, you know, this next one is really interesting to somebody like you and somebody like me, because we do look at a lot of different data tools. Digital single sales ranker. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so uh, those digital single sales rankers tend to reflect a greater balance of genres, just like Shazam does in streaming. So uh, rock, pop, hip hop, um, and if anything, leans more pop and streaming. So when you look at a song that is top 15 in all of these, you know, except when BTS drops an album <laughs> and, and 15 out of 20 songs are BTS songs, generally, Generally, um, you know, w when you look at all three of these tools, streaming, Shazam and digital sales rankers, if a song is top 15 in all three of these, it's really important. Mm. If they are top 15, in all three of these tools or sometimes even two out of the three, you generally have a song that's going to be a hit eventually for radio and call out. 
maybe six weeks later, maybe eight weeks later, but it's generally going to be a hit for, for you know, for radio, top 40 radio and call out. So you're, you're basically getting an opportunity, an inside opportunity to hear Guy Zapolian talk about how he looks at the functionality of these different tools. The next one is really interesting, too. And Guy, I know that, I mean, you basically invented this, right? The hit predictor. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, in 2002, uh, uh, Rick Basiglia said, we can predict songs. And... Um, uh, and I said, bullshit. And he goes, no, we really can. And I said, okay, I don't believe it, but let me, let me examine it for six months and I'll tell you if I agree. So we uh, tested every song that was out for six months and our track record was 70% you know, accuracy, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, and uh, you know, we, we, we found out we could predict hits in all the major formats. Um, uh, uh, it uses a one to five scale, uh, just like uh, call out and has the same weighted positive scores, as I mentioned earlier, uh, that we use in call out. Um, and uh, uh, in order to get the uh, information, hit predictive tests every single song that hits every major format chart. So when adding a song, I always use the hit predictor score and review the songs to see if they have a hit predictor score and importantly, how big a score it was. When it doesn't have a score, it also means the song didn't get the paltry 65 score needed to be a hit predictor. That was top, it's top 15, um, which is a pretty low bar. So um, go ahead. Yeah, this is really interesting because we're getting to see a, a kind of a precursor funnel for you. This does this, this does that. There, These are twos. And then, of course, you always go back to the call out. Let's talk about media-based charts for a minute, too. So um, I look at media-based charts as a guide, um, but I always rank um, each format by the currents and recurrents by this week spins so that recurrents fall in order of their spins with the currents. And um, it's important to do that because when you see a recurrent as top 10, it means that recurrent is being played as a current and should be considered as a potential power by programmers in that format. And nobody does that. Dua Lipa's Levitating almost didn't get picked back mm. up because it was being played by iHeart stations for a number of weeks as, as a power, but it was still listed as a recurrent on the chart. And if you didn't rank it by currents and recurrents, you wouldn't have seen that song. And uh, anyway, you know, we know that song went on to be number one. So again, And there are so few big hits, you don't want to miss them, right? Yeah, I mean, last year was horrible. We only had like 26, 27 consensus powers, and this year's better. But yeah, we can't afford to miss one major power song. All right, so let's, let's talk about uh, words that you use uh, fairly frequently. Average people listening. Tell us about this. Okay, so a general reminder um, is remember for every active heavy user who's a streaming, shazamming, or buying digital downloads and pushes a song up media-based charts or whatever charts, billboard, um, that there are thousands of people that only use radio 15 to 30 minutes a day, and their listening makes up 70, 80% of the ratings for your station. So um, yeah, 
not going to deny you might get a heavy listening meter of 40 to 60 hours of listening a week from people that are heavy digital users as well. But what are the odds that you're going to do that? So because Callout was built to reflect the average Joe or Jane, um, I still keep a song in power rotation, sometimes up to even 3,500 spins, sometimes even more like Dua Lipa, which came back. Um, if it's still top seven, uh, Dua Lipa's levitating, I mean. If it's still top seven in your callout, I'd make it a power rather than move it to down power when no other current song is close to being one of your powers in callout. Always about strength of song. So a lot of people talk about expectation. You brought it up tonight already a couple of different times. You can't figure out what listeners want unless you are interested in asking them. What's that old saying? How many people inside a radio station think that they can program the radio station maybe better than the programmer? All of them. <laughs> Programming is something that people love to give an opinion about, and there are a million opinions. Let's talk about music flow and the important elements of music flow, according to Guy Zapolian. Will you walk us through that, Guy? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned before, delivering to expectation was my number one mo most broken rule as a consultant um, or as an SVP. Um, so being consistent musically was critical. Um, I have a motto, it's SSV, strength, sound, variety, where sound is uh, tempo, genre, and era, and variety is rotation patterns, properly playing the entire late bar library and all day parts. Strength, playing the hits is always the most important, but sound and variety are also very important. Thinking of tempo, genre, and era, you want listeners to hear consistent representation of your station's sound every quarter hour, as we used to say, you want your every quarter hour to be a perfect slice of your radio station. You don't want to have too many slows or rock or hip hop tracks in a quarter hour if you're doing top 40 and definitely don't want to um, not have them back to back. And my rule of thumb for those uh, different genres and tempos was about 25 percent. 25 to 30% per hour for each one of those. Um, um, and one of my little tricks was I'd take a look at the genre percentages for the library based on spin demand, uh, uh, currents, recurrence, and gold spins, and would try to mirror that in every hour and quarter hour. So about 25% rock. If, if you had 25% rock, 25% hip hop, and 50% pop, then, you know, taking that as an example, you'd have a four song sweep, you'd have two pops, one rock and hip hop R&B song, you know, following what's in your library based on demand, um, it keeps you consistent, um, delivering what your library has in it, uh, based on demand. I love this talk of balance, balance, balance over and over and over. And Guy, I think we might have lost you there for a second. Are you back? Hello. I think we lost you there. You were talking about, uh, you really talking about balance here. Everything in creating these clocks is balance, 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 right? right? So, and it, and it keeps you playing your library in a um, consistent fashion. It keeps, if you do things based on what your library demand is, you don't overplay one genre or one tempo um, it's a smooth flow you know we know pops the glue but you can go overboard in that so don't don't wind up playing too many you know in a sweep or too many in an hour because uh, you know you'll waste them 
Um, you know, uh, as as you know, as a program director and as a consultant, I was obsessed with consistency. And we actually back when I was was actually a programmer, we actually scheduled music into a music map. Uh, again, John Peake might remember this, but um, we would have a tempo map, and we that would have a up, medium, down flow, and we had rules to govern how we put songs into that map to control era and strength and genre, but that map also created a consistent flow of music. So I had that at one point in my programming career. Absolutely fabulous. We are going to talk about how you do rotations today, and I need to warn everybody up front that this is a little bit complex. It will sound a little bit complex at first. We are going to publish the Guys Apollyon This Week in Music spreadsheet on our site in just about uh, eight or nine minutes or so. That'll be a companion to what you're hearing. So if you would be so gracious, will you share uh, kind of the results of the music that you're doing this week. Obviously, we're going to put that spreadsheet that you have diligently put together. This is actual music you're doing this week, and it's just in written form. It'll be shared on our website at BrainMakerPathway.com as a supplement to this live event and to the podcast that you can also subscribe to as well. Talk about how you put this music together from data and your ear. So kind of give us a kind of a brief overview. Okay. So, um, again, it's going to be a top 40 example. Um, and I'm going to be use, begin by using my call-out report, which is consolidated from various sources. Um, and remember, it's, um, I always do a two-survey average to, to make it a more stable uh, um, result. Uh, we're going to look at both total as well as core, as well as non-core scores, um, and uh, potential scores. And, uh, you know, if you're if you were in a Hispanic market, I'd also look at that Hispanic versus Caucasian listeners because their tastes do run different. Um, and remember, if a core score is huge and the total score isn't is um, isn't a lot lower or is if the core score and total score aren't very similar, uh, let's say the core score is huge and the total score is a lot lower. It means the song doesn't appeal to the cum and it's really not what we call a spoke. So I actually, in the example, I actually broke out ranks based on uh, non-core scores as well. Um, so for tiebreakers, I use the other tools uh, and especially looking at new songs. Um, I use streaming charts, but um, you mentioned um, trends, yeah, I, I don't believe that looking at any of these um, without trends. So for streaming, I have four-week trends. Shazam, I have four-week trends. I look at trends on digital sales. Um, and if a song is top 15, top 10 streaming Shazam and sales, like I said earlier, it's generally going to be a top 40 hit. It's something I'll have confidence in, even if it's dropping on the chart. If it looks really good in that and it's a really strong potential score, I'm going to keep that song in because I could. Well, and and Wait. what you're talking about here is just consistency and having the power of a bigger look at something. It's like turning on a flashlight versus turning on a really big spotlight to make sure right. you're seeing the whole picture. Yep. Um, and I also look at hit predict. I go to hitpredictorcharts.com to look at 
all the recent songs, especially the newer songs and the mediums that scored well enough to be hit predictors, and I rank them by score on hitpredictorcharts.com. Um, I'll do that when I do ads, and really high scores of 90 on that hit predictor chart or above are generally indicators of top five songs. Um, I also look at media-based chart, looking at both currents and recurrents, like I mentioned before, ranking them by this week to make sure recurrents line up, and if a recurrent is top seven, um, and it, it's uh, stronger than the, all the other currents, I'll consider it as an A. Uh, you know, if, it, if it's top 30 uh, in, in the, uh, the media-based ranker, uh, it's probably a good candidate for down power. I'm also going to look at what is peaking, stalling, or dropping on the chart, but only when it's doing poorly in call-out research. Um, and, you know, has poor potential as well, will I then remove it? Otherwise, I'm going to look to keep it in my current rotations. Um, I'll download this, the uh, station playlist, and I'll see how many spins a song has gotten. I used one of the stations as an example. That's in that uh, Excel spreadsheet that uh, Lloyd's going to post. Right, um, right. Look, yeah, looking at new songs, unless it's gotten uh, like 200 or 300 spins, it's not even going to be tested and call out. And those songs should stay in new and not be projected to medium or B rotation based on streaming or one week of call out. Remember, I look at two. Um, also, I look at the total spins to decide if the song is still a power. Um, and I will keep a song in power, like I said before, up to 3,500 spins. And if it's top three and call out, top seven, um, even if it's top seven, when there's nothing better in current, then it'll stay in power. Um, also, if a song is less than a thousand spins and has been shoved into recurrence on your station, um, is it's still top twenty in your callout? Still top twenty in media base ranking currents and recurrents? It still actually might be a valuable B. I won't do that with mediums because generally the mediums I try to make a little newer than that. Um, finally, I have rotations grids with slots for the amount of songs they need in every category, and I fill them out as we go down the callout chart. Um, so again, starting with a callout from top to bottom, filling out your most important categories, your spokes, your A's. I won't be using streaming sales or Shazam here until we get down to B's, mediums, news, and use, them, use those tools as tiebreakers. So B's are next. Then I look at the top 10. I'll begin to find my other major spoke categories, down powers as well. Um, as I come across any recurrence of gold being tested, if there's spokes with core and non-core strong appeal, um, and I look at four-week averages for those recurrence and down powers. And if they are top 20, uh, top 20 in your um, in your call out, they can be played as recurrence. Like I said, top 20 with both core and non-core. They can be played as recurrence. Otherwise, they should be discarded. Um, take the next best uh, current songs you haven't used in A and B uh, that are still t that are top 20 or close. Those are your mediums, and most of the other currents will be too low scoring, well below the top 20, 25, or too unfamiliar to make Bs or Ms. So these become news, which I'll divide into stress new, and regular new, and then night new. When you're looking at new songs, I do first look at their potential scores pop songs with just the people who are familiar with the song. That's what a potential score is. To see 
uh, look at the potential score to see if that song is a top 10 potential when you rank all songs by potential scores. Those are the songs that are probably the ones with the really good potential scores are going to be the ones I put into my stress new category. A song that really has high potential scores for several weeks during its early life is almost always going to be a hit, but again, only if it gets the necessary 500 spins, and most of those are have to be 5A to 7P. Oh, I love that you do that, too, because I think so many people tend to go and look at these radio stations and they're using a 24-hour clock, and I'm like, what, what are you doing there? Yeah, no. I, I mean, remember, most people listen to your radio station, listen between 5A and 7P. So if you play it only at night and overnights, that song is never going to be familiar and you're going to sit there and scratch your head. You go, why is this song more familiar? Well, that's why it's not getting daytime airplay. That's um, like saying we've discovered the problem. It's you, right? Exactly. Um, so uh, once again, remember, you're going to need five A's uh, on my particular uh, architecture for top 40. Uh, then again, the best days often include what people call recurrence or down powers. You're going to need three Bs, which are your next best current. You're going to need four Ms, which should at least be around 80% familiar. You're going to need five Ds, down power, stay, stay currents. You're going to need two stress news, the best new songs with good potential, great potential, really. Uh, you're going to need four to five new, new uh, song category songs for the new category. You're going to need two injectors that play seven to midnight. And so, um, like I said, uh, uh, Lloyd's going to post this, um, you know, but you'll see the, on the encouragers website, how I built a playlist from top to bottom, starting with call up and integrating streaming Shazam sales, hit predictor, the national charts and spins to date for each of the songs on this example. All right. So if you're listening at home, you're playing the home game, you're probably sweating around your mouth just a little bit trying to keep up with Guy here. Please remember, we will publish the Guy's Napoleon this week in music spreadsheet at BrainMakerPathway.com. As a matter of fact, it might be there now, but don't go away yet because we're not done. Uh, look, Guy, you know, I think... Um, you know, I, I think for a lot of people that really know, they wonder about people like Scott Shannon. Uh, what does he hear missing on the radio today? I think people want to know about you, too. Uh, you have this passion. It's it's driven by lifelong learning. What do you hear missing from the radio today? Um, <clears throat> first thing I hear missing is, I think, you know, we have, like I mentioned before, we have so many, you know, having worked at iHeart and, and working with a lot of people at other, other companies as well, there are so many talented programmers that have great ears. But unfortunately, um, we're kind of stuck relying solely on labels to give, give um, radio music. And radio stations are afraid to take risk. Uh, with left field hits that put an unnatural control. Um, this puts an unnatural control in the hit music process. Um, programmers used to listen to new music and their ears were a big factor in breaking hits. There wasn't a time pressure for a song to be a hit too. Um, often songs started regionally and became hits and moved to the next city and it took six months for a song to become a hit on Billboard. That's really the way songs become a hits 
even today in today's streaming world, because not everybody's a heavy streamer. Well, uh, and can I say this uh, about what you're talking about? I once had a sheriff tell me that there were two teams. There's the law enforcement and then there's the outlaws. And they're both busy teams. And I'm not trying to suggest that that records people are enemies. Heck, I'm married to a records person. But I'm going to say that sometimes their goal is to give me somebody who sounds like this person. Give me a hit that sounds like this big hit record. Okay. And if there's too much of that, it seems to me what you're saying is the reason that occurs is because everybody's shooting at the same thing and too much of the control is coming from the record company side. So what do you get? You get regurgitated, you know, everybody's shooting at the thing. At some point, it'll be the thing that was happening, but isn't with consumers now, right? Right, exactly. We get stuck in a rut. Right. And uh, we don't have the, enough power in our car to get out of that rut. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these days, it's, it's the song life is dependent on its streaming performance because guess what? That's labels, revenue source, and that's their priority. But that's Follow really, the money. That's exactly. That's not radios. That shouldn't be radios, you know, raison d'etre. Um, when a song peaks in streaming, the label stops promoting it. The station begins to decrease or stall the spins, then they drop it and the song falls off the chart or becomes a recurrent. So the time frame a song can be a hit is so much shorter. Um, it's often a few months or even sometimes a matter of a week. That's just too short a time for a song to show its hit because of the pressure for it to scream, which is all which I explained earlier. It does not mean it's not a radio hit. And we're shooting we're shooting a lot of potential hit songs by doing that for radio by just going along with what labels expect us to do so um you know uh, uh you know again and i mentioned that nights and overnights sometimes songs get put into that slot and it's just impossible to get a real read from call out when you do that um you know uh that's another key issue is that stations do get a lot of false reads and call out by choosing bad hooks which is something I helped correct when I was at iHeart, um, and they're still doing it there. But I mean, that's really, you know, call out is king, but it's only king if you're using the right, uh, the right um, call out hooks to represent a song. And five seconds is often way too short. And, uh, you know, it should be a lot, you know, probably 12, 15 seconds when it's a brand new song. So, um, Anyway, bottom line is smart programmers should be using their ears to pick songs and using their call it to validate their choices for new music and to determine their rotations. Uh, they should give a song a chance. Um, make sure they're giving it daytime 5A to 7P spins when it shows enough early signs of being a hit. Um, the, song, the thing that killed more songs is programmers knee-jerking to a bad call-out report or two, um, you know, and maybe a decade ago, you could tell if a song was a hit and call it after 200 to 300 spins. That just doesn't happen anymore, especially after COVID, um, you know, uh, uh, as more people left for Spotify and some of the streaming platforms, so and people are listening a little, a little less to radio, although it's coming back, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I guess COVID changed radio listening habits. And again, 
it's not 200 to 300 spins. It often takes 500 spins or even 1,000 spins to really see if a song will pop and caw and show that it's a hit. And it often takes around even 500, 58 to 7P spins to really see that. So before a song will come through and caw, if all the other songs are there, all the other signs are there, hit predictor potential scores, streaming, sales, Shazam as well, um, um, don't have an itchy trigger finger. Look at those other signs as well. And don't pull a song before it gets the 500 spins you need. And sometimes you need five to six call-out reports um, uh, to tell you if it's a hit. Just remember, you believed in that song originally, so don't give up on it. Uh, use those ears to stick with the song as well. So if you do that, uh, generally that song will come through in your local research and be a hit for you 90% of the time. As I mentioned before, Levitating by Dua Lipa is a perfect example of a hit. The format almost lost a few months after airplay. Most people dropped it um, in the early part of the year or moved it to recurrent in February and March of this year. But, of, but I saw it working for some great programmers like Dylan Sprague at KISS in Boston, as well as a few other stations on the East Coast. And I realized the stations had given it, the, you know, looking at media basis, how they were giving it 587p airplay, and they'd done it for a number of weeks, and that any station that had done that, that that song had become a power. So I went back to iHeart and I whispered in the right ears and the program directors uh, at iHeart brought it back from Recurrent in June. And the song went on to be a power everywhere and hit number one on top 40 at Media Base. But could have been a different story if we didn't mm -hmm. have patience with a great song like Levitating. Well, and, and along with patience, let's talk about balance again, can we? Sure. <clears throat> One thing I'll say is when Top 40 Radio has been successful, it's played a wide variety of genres. Unfortunately, you've been stuck in a rut for the past decade, and we've been over-focused on pop when there are less pop hits to play. Um, again, that's part of the problem is that the labels have the power to make the hits. So as you mentioned before, they keep promoting to Top 40 the songs and the genres that are working, and that's been mostly pop the last decade. Um, but that also means that they're afraid to promote a unique new sound or artist as it's easier to release what always works um, and that radio adds immediately and keep they keep releasing that sound and artists that sound like what's already been successful um why they stuck on pop um this past decade um and really the decade before to a lesser extent uh because of the horrible period of extremes that we all faced in top 40 radio in 1989 during the music, that music cycle when Top 40 ventured too much into hard rock and also maybe to a little uh, lesser extent hip hop. And we chased some of its adults away. Then in 1994, radio overreacted the other way and became an AC hybrid and refused to play rock or hip hop and very little pop and lost m even more ratings. And the Top 40 format was pronounced dead by a couple of consultants and 500 radio stations left the format. That's Which a huge that? number of radio stations, too. It was a third of the total stations that were top 40 at that time. Mm -hmm. So since that time, top 40 has been 
has believed they needed to be extremely pop, have been very nervous about playing rock alternative or country crossovers, and also because radio became an AC hybrid in the early 90s. And, um, you know, uh, they had played too much of that AC music. Uh, they were afraid of what happened, and so they're overly cautious in playing too many AC-sounding songs or slower songs today as well. So before 2010, um, Billboard, um, the popularity chart and media base, the top 40 airplay urine chart, they were all, both of those were very, very similar when you looked at the, at the urine charts and when you looked at the songs and even the genre balance, they were very similar. But that changed dramatically as top 40 over focused on pop music uh, in this last 10, 10 years, where 65% of the media base airplay urine top 40 chart were pop songs with hip hop and R&B 20% and rock AC country songs made up the rest of the chart each year with only about 15% combined. If you compare that to the popularity charts, it's the reverse mirror image where hip hop and R&B occupied 45% of the top 100 songs of the year on Billboard. Rock AC and country combined for 25% versus 15 on media base top 40. And pop only made 39, was only 39% of, of Billboard's decade average um, of the top 100 songs and 39% versus 65% on media basis, top 40 year end charts for the decade. So as important as pop is for top 40, you shouldn't be forcing mediocre non-hit pop songs into the format. You can't be following Billboard exactly, as I mentioned before, because it's very heavily based on streaming and it's not always radio friendly, but overall, when you look at tonnage, Billboard is still a guide to what's most popular, and it shows that pop is not more popular than the combined amount of hip-hop and R&B, country, AC, and rock alternative all added together. And there needs to be a better balance on top 40 of these other genres. Harkening back to my buddy Steve Rivers, he always said it, when it comes to what's most important for music on radio, play the fucking hits. Man, what a tutorial. Guy, I want to thank you for joining us on The Encouragers. You have been nothing short of incredible. My pleasure. Of course, uh, you know, we have some fabulous bonus material for those that are listening later tonight. We will be posting this podcast at RainmakerPathway.com. At RainmakerPathway.com is where that will be probably within the hour. Later tonight, uh, also, the, the podcast will be available uh, on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, wherever you get your podcast, and we will be posting additional material directly from Guy Zapolian on our website at RainmakerPathway.com. This will include a spreadsheet known as the Guy Zapolian This Week in Music Spreadsheet. No kidding. You'll get to actually see the details of it. Again, look for this. Uh, it's probably on our site right now, actually. And uh, it's all yours. Uh, a very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast and the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, both of which are available wherever you get your podcast. Thank you to Just Joe Productions for creating our audio footprint and distributing the podcast Mondays and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific every 
Monday and every Wednesday, we do this like clockwork, very consistent, like Guy Zapolian. Mondays, it's the Encouragers, the Radio Rally event. And Wednesdays, it's the Encouragers Innovation in Audio. We always say this on the Encouragers. Once you have a radio station, you can get anything else you want. We are believers in the theory of abundance. Ask me to explain it to you sometimes. It's kind of cool. Be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being part of the Encouragers. I know a lot of people would want to ask questions of Guy Zapolian. I did not plan this with Guy, but I am going to say this to Guy, and I'm going to say, Guy, if you ever would consider coming back and just doing a Q&A question and answer session, uh, we certainly would uh, do that with you and would be grateful to do that with you. Uh, we'll leave that in your hands. How does that sound? Happy to do it. Uh, all right. Very good. Thank you for being part of the Encouragers. I thank everybody for showing up tonight and uh, have a great weekend. Good night.